Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. There is lots to keep our eyes on, including right here in this city. Lots in this city that is going on that we want to talk about and uh, to get us going this week. Let's bring in John Best. He is the publisher of the Bay Observer. Always love having John on. How are you tonight, John? Just great, Scott. Appreciate you doing this, as always. Uh, before we get into the, the the news that we learned of today, I want to go back to last week for one second. And it was something that dawned on me on Friday uh, as I was doing the show. And I was, I was, you know, we have the, the Red Hill Creek, and I don't want to rehash all the details of the Red Hill Creek report. That's out. People can look up the, the judicial inquiry report and all the rest of it. But it's costing the city taxpayers now, $28 million, and almost certainly there will be lawsuits that will flow from this. Whether the city wins or loses, there will be legal fees, and then there could be damages. We don't know. And John, all that kept coming to mind is who's accountable for this? Where is the responsibility or the accountability? Because it seems when stuff like this happens, it is just the taxpayers that end up holding the bag on this thing. I don't know that there is an answer to this, but where is the the side of things in municipal government that is responsible or pays in some way, has some sort of penalty or or thing against them when this happens? Because again, it's it's you and I had nothing to do with that, and yet we are going to pay. Well, uh, to put it delicately, stuff happens, Scott, and. Hmm. Uh, you know, in the case of, of the Red Hill um, situation, I, I mean, the key staffer who got named throughout the piece, uh, there's no question that he was, you know, he was removed uh, from his post. He was transferred to the LRT office for a while, but it was it was clearly a, a transition to goodbye. And, uh, you know, that so that individual you know, obviously paid some price. Uh, and, and I suppose also just, you know, the, the reputational damage uh, of a, of a career that, that I think was, uh, he was considered to be a very capable, a very intelligent, uh, knowledgeable individual who um, unfortunately uh, you don't get to do a do-over at the end of your career. So, um, so to that sense, there was some accountability, but beyond that, uh, I think you're right. There's probably eight or nine lawsuits underway now. There's, uh, I don't know if there's a class action lawsuit or not. Uh, I can't recall, but, uh, there's, there's certainly going to be a tremendous amount of legal activity and, uh, you know, that's going to be, a, a you know, a kind of a nightmare that'll, just keep on going for you know what these lawsuits are like they can go on for three and four years some of them have been in place already for for several years Mm -hmm. so it's uh it's uh the reverse of a gift that keeps on giving, yeah. I guess. Well, yeah, it's the it's the anti-Christmas vacation uh, jelly of the month club. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, this even goes back to when we had the sewer gate, that, you know, when we were waiting to hear what the penalties were going to be from the province and all that stuff. Again, it was, it was the people, it was the taxpayers that end up paying for this. And it just, I think if you are a taxpayer, you are justified in feeling like, why am I the one always holding the bag for this stuff? That, that's the thing that I think is the most frustrating for people around here is that, yes, you're right, stuff happens, and yet stuff happens, but always at the expense of the taxpayer. 
Well, uh, I mean, it's a sad circumstance, but that's exactly right. And um, this is going to be expensive. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just really an unfortunate thing. You'd like to think that um, there will be something learned from this. For $28 million, I hope there's some kind of organizational change or maybe some kind of backstopping that, uh, that can be done. But as it sits right now, we're out 28 million. Uh, there's millions more to go for sure with the legal process. And it's, uh, it's really, uh, you know, it's a, a real burden on a, on a taxpayer that is uh, still, we're, we're expecting to see that 14.2% get reduced. But based on a meeting I watched today uh, on my computer, I, where a, a, a proposal was put forward for another 28 staff to be added at a cost of between capital and and uh, salaries and so on, uh, basically a five million dollar program to improve our uh, our cleaning up of litter. So you know this this just keeps on going, and uh, there's there's a point at which uh, the public just won't be able to handle the the increases that uh, they're facing right now. I just wonder if this is a moment when with all the stuff that's happened and with this Red Hill, and I don't know that there's any kind of move like this could get any traction on council, but if this is a moment for somebody on council to propose something, a penalty or something that if, you know, that, that, that council or staff or something like it, it, it just, it, as again, if it, it always seems to be coming from city hall and yet it never goes back to city hall. Yes, you're right. There was one person who was named in this report who's no longer there, but there might be some appetite from some councillors at this point to say, you know what, next time something like this happens, we will have a deduction in our pay or we will have, or staff will have a deduction. I mean, I don't know how you would do it. I don't know if you could do it, but I think there might be an appetite from some councillors to bring this up. Well, I think, I think you'd run into some difficulty with employment law uh, and that would involve more lawyers uh, getting paid to represent individuals. I mean, I think what we're really getting at here is, is there some mechanism for uh, reducing the number of these colossal uh, money pits that, that we seem to be creating? And, and when they're created through error, uh, it, it's really disturbing. And in the case of the Red Hill, it was, I guess you'd say, a combination of error, but also a certain amount of personalities involved where people just weren't communicating with each other. And uh, uh, as a result, uh, there was a lot of money wasted. Plus the the problem didn't get solved. And until very recently, uh, it seemed that, you know, everybody had an opinion on, on what was wrong with the highway, but it's interesting that once it was repaved and once they lowered the speed limit to 80 kilometers an hour, there seemed to be a whole lot less accidents. So, mm. uh, you know, that's, uh, that'll end up being the cheapest piece of that solution, I think. John, earlier today, we learned, we knew this was coming today, but we didn't know who necessarily. Uh, the city has announced that its new city manager is someone named Marnie Clucky, who comes from Niagara-on-the-Lake. And I, as I'm saying that, I realized that some of the people listening are saying, oh, okay, um, why her and why from there? And other people are saying, why do I care about this at all? Let's go to the second one first. Should people 
who are not deeply invested in local politics and deeply following every little nuance, should they care who the city manager is? Oh, absolutely. Um, while, you know, the, the bureaucracy in any municipality, they're, they're typically not front and center. We, we hear their voices uh, around the, the, the council table when they're asked questions, but they really do drive the agenda uh, in many ways. Uh, they're not just caretakers, uh, you know, picking up the garbage and all that kind of stuff. They're uh you know especially their senior leadership they're they're very busy with not only the assignments that the council gives them but just generally as they're trying to keep the keep the municipality running and trying to improve it so there's a lot going on uh with and certainly the cao is or the city manager is is the the person that really provides that uh, climate uh, for hopefully for us, uh, if it's running properly for the senior managers to, uh, you know, thrive. So, yeah, it, it's important. And, um, you know, she comes with, uh, uh she's coming from a, a much smaller municipality. However, she has had experience working both in Hamilton and she worked in Halton and, and Burlington. So she, she's, she's had involvement in a larger city, uh, environment but uh, she's going to be numero uno now uh, with uh, um, a staff of over eight thousand. by the time she takes office on the 15th of january it may be nine thousand. the way mm. these uh proposals keep coming forward that, that constantly adding staff hopefully um you know that that may be an area uh, the one thing I did notice about her resume is she did 10 years of, as a leadership coach and uh, with organizational development. Uh, it'd be great if she could take a look at the organization of the city and perhaps uh, improve uh, how it operates. Because I, I do think with, you know, going back to the Red Hill thing, I think really the, the big takeaway from that was a, a very large department that had a large element of uh, just dysfunction in it and and so i'm not sure that that doesn't still remain to be worked on mm. the fact that she's going to land here right in the middle of what should be some pretty difficult budget negotiations will she have anything to do with that or is she just is she just going to be along for the ride at that point and like is that something the city manager would have a lot of impact in or a lot of touch on uh, yes, I, I, I think the city manager will uh, in in the sense of not, not so much the accounting and the debits and credits, but in, in terms of um, managing expectations around the table. I mean, this council has front end loaded a, a ton of stuff uh, that, that is either going to have to be passed, in which case we're going to have to pay for it. Uh, I would like to get a list of everything that's been referred to the 2024 budget. Because I think it's, I think it, you know, if you did the dollar value of it, it's huge, and and the staff uh, component is also huge. So that's going to be job one is is going to be landing this budget, both from the standpoint of uh, around the table with the politicians, but also landing it in a in a way where she can have some control over what staff are asking for. 
because uh, they just keep coming every time they have a meeting that there's a proposal that involves adding staff and and it's clusters like 28 people to to improve our litter situation that's that's a big ask and you just get the feeling that the departments aren't talking to each other there, there there's nobody that's sort of saying well, you know that we all have to kind of do our thing and and take a bit of a hit one of the really interesting parts about this announcement today this is the first city manager that was um, hired under the strong mayor system so that Andrea Horvath mm-hmm. had the it sounds as though there was, it wasn't just her. There was a group involved in the hiring here, but nonetheless, ultimately, Andrea Horvath was the one who was able to choose who the city manager was. Does that mean that we expect her to be in line politically with the mayor? Because the mayor is only going to choose someone who aligns with her political views, or do you expect it not to be that way? Well, just based on the mayor's own performance, I hope she's going mainly on on competence and and uh, obviously she has to have a relationship with the individual, but it, um, I, I'm not sure it has to be a, a lockstep philosophical uh, relationship. So I, I hope the mayor is looking for somebody that can, uh, you know, really deal with this very uh, difficult staff situation. I've always felt that the the city manager's job in Hamilton and maybe everywhere is um, uh, really uh, you're yes you're the first among equals but you're sitting at a table where uh, there's people that maybe think they should have had the job there's uh, they you know there's a sense that they're they're maybe not that cohesive as a group they they hold their weekly meeting and then they go back to their offices and back into the silos again that that's kind of what it feels like based on this very uh, revealing peak that we got through the through the Red Hill uh, mm. inquiry. So I, I hope she's she's gone for com- competence. I I don't think she'd go out and seek somebody who had opposite views uh, of her. But I don't think it's necessary uh, for Marnie Clucky to be an NDP either. No, and what we're going to see, and this will be, this will present itself, we'll find out soon enough, is because now we have these strong mayor powers, is, does Andrea Horvath, does the mayor have some unique ability to direct the city manager, as we just talked about? She has a huge role to play here. Is there a sense that she is doing the bidding of the mayor. I, I would be surprised if that was the case. I would be very surprised if this was not someone who came in and was independent and seemed independent, but we're going to see, I guess, pretty quickly how this plays out under this new system that we've never had before. Yeah. I mean, the, the city manager is, is managing the staff of the city and, and, uh, to some degree, a mayor would be very unwise to even want to get into the day to day like that. Agreed. But you could do it from a distance. You could do, I mean, if you wanted to, you could sort of drop hints and say, Hey, this would be great. And it, again, we're going to see if she comes in under this new way of doing it. It would, this would never have been a question before because it was never a strong mayor system. We'll see, I think pretty quickly how this plays out. It'll be very interesting to see. I wish we had more time to talk about it right now though, John, but we don't. Unfortunately, that is John Best. He is the publisher of the Bay Observer. We always love it when you come on here, John. Thanks for doing this. Good to be with you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. If you are on social media at all, 
for better or worse, uh, at all and have been over the last couple months, you have been no doubt very aware of what's been going on as far as protests and rallies and difficult situations with the whole Israel Hamas situation. It is the, I would argue it is the most divisive issue going on right now in this country, not I'm not even talking in the Middle East. In this country, there may not, probably is not a more divisive issue. And it's getting to the point where an awful lot of people are getting awfully concerned about what is happening and where the line of hate is being now blurred or stepped right over and nothing seems to be being done about it. Well, Anthony Horthfather, who is, uh, he's a liberal MP. You, you may be aware of him, uh, a liberal MP. He invited members of the House and Senate, all the MPs, all the senators to watch a film of Hamas's, th- this is footage that Hamas filmed itself and of security cameras of what happened on October 7. It's undoubtedly a horrible thing to watch, but considering what's going on in this country and the lines that people are drawing in the sand, this, I think, would have been something very important for an awful lot of those MPs and senators who are making decisions to see, to understand what the context is. Well, my next guest tweeted this out after watching it. I wish more of our colleagues recognized the duty they had to bear witness and joined us. Sadly, those who probably needed to see it the most weren't there. Uh, Anthony Horsfather, who organized this, said 20 showed up. 20 out of hundreds. 20. Kevin Vong is an MP for Spadina, Fort York, joins us now. Kevin, thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me, Scott. This is uh, disappointing, honestly, to hear that this few people decided in in really important positions of power under the circumstances, this few decided to show up and watch. Was, was there something else going on that was a political thing or something that was happening that night that would have prevented all the rest of them from coming? So, so Scott, I, I think there's a few things I'll say. Um, there was about 15 or 20 of us, uh, which unfortunately is, is less than 5% of all parliamentarians when you total up all MPs and senators. Um, there were about 10 conservatives, give or take, and, and about five liberals um, and myself, um, at, at least on the MP side that, that I was able to to see. And and I was really disappointed that there weren't any members that I could see from from the NDP um, of of Canada's three national parties. And, and I'm, I'm excluding the Bloc Québécois um, in this instance here. There there was only two parties present. And, and like you had said in my tweet, um, I, I continue to be of the position that I think the people who needed to see it the most weren't there. Yeah, I, and now we have five MPs from the Hamilton area. We reached out to a number of them. Um, only one got back, and that was Chad Collins, and he was not attending. Um, a couple of them we didn't get to, didn't reach out to, um, but others, no response. Uh, I don't know if they attended or not. But again, this seems to me that under the circumstance, Kevin, with what's going on with the protests and the rallies and the, uh, what I think many people now are describing as hate, Mm -hmm. I just, I can't think that there's a more important thing going on in our country. There's a lot of issues that affect a lot of people, but to understand what's behind this, I can't imagine there's a more important thing to see. 
I, I agree with you, especially because we're, we're seeing the violence abroad spill out onto our streets here in Canada, right? There are, there are protests that are happening um, in my riding in, in Toronto. There are Jewish-owned businesses that are being targeted for no other reason than the fact that their owners are Jewish. That is, that's abhorrent, it's disgusting, and it's wrong. And so I think it's key now more than ever that our leaders are stepping up to condemn hate in all of its forms, each and every time it rears its ugly head. But unfortunately, uh, at a time when a screening like this is made available, where people need to see it, they're absent, um, and they're also silent when it comes to these incidents of hate. It, it is interesting to me if you think back over history, and we'll even say, you know, I don't know how far you want to go back. Images and videos have films so often have changed people's opinions on world events, whether it was 9-11 where we all watched it or, you know, that picture from a few years ago of a refugee, a baby that washed up on the shore and was drowned that, mm. that, or, or whether it's napalm girl from the Vietnam war, or you go back, there are moments and videos and images that change people's minds that make them think differently. And to me, if you won't even allow yourself to see it, it doesn't allow you then to open your mind to whether you are on the right side of history or not. That's right. And um, I should share too, my parents were actually refugees themselves from the Vietnam War. Um, and for me, unfortunately, there are some parallels between my own family's history and, and what happened in October 7th. My, my mom and her family actually lived um, in a town that was uh, where their home was actually completely destroyed when a Lunar New Year ceasefire, just like on October 7th, um, was violated. And, and there were many atrocities committed by the communists uh, in Vietnam, as, as we saw tragically by, by Hamas on October 7th. Has anybody that you've spoken to since this, any of your colleagues, explained why they weren't there? Did anybody, because you've been very active on Twitter about this, has anyone said, you know, here's why I didn't go, or has it just been silence? Um, I, I haven't heard from, from any of my colleagues to be fair, Scott, I, it's not like I'm going around asking folks, Hey, why weren't you there? Um, I definitely do wonder it. I should say though, just to be fair to, uh, one of my colleagues in Hamilton, Dan Moyes, uh, was, was with me today, uh, with other MPs at Parliament Hill, um, for the rally in support of, of Jewish Canadians. So, so I know he's definitely, um, been, been both there and outspoken in his support. Okay, so what do you do now? So, I mean, you, you've watched this. I'm quite positive that it probably had an impact on you from what I've heard of it. And we had a, a columnist on here who had seen it several weeks ago. She explained what was in a lot of this. So having seen it, we don't have to go into all the details again, but having seen it, I'm sure it's had an impact. Is anything that you think now different than what you thought before having seen it? Um, so Scott, I think what I witnessed was the very definition of evil and depravity. Um, I, I was shocked. I mean, like, I think a lot of people, I had read, uh, the different articles and columns that, that journalists had written, uh, when they had seen it first, but even, even having read that and, and kind of been aware of it, I was shocked by just how methodical Hamas was in executing their terrorism because it, it wasn't enough for them to just shoot someone. They actually went back around and shot people in the head 
again to ensure they were truly and completely dead. And and as I was was watching, I kept asking myself. So I, um, Scott, you, you may not know, but I have a second career serving proudly in His Majesty's uh, Naval Reserve, right? Uh, for for nine years now. And one of the things I kept asking myself was like, what military objective is being achieved here, right? What military value was there in attacking a kindergarten or shooting off the tires of an ambulance or or killing a dog that had come to welcome them, tail wagging and all? Um, and and it was just it was so shocking. It was so alarming. And um, I, I continue to think about it uh, each and every day since I've seen it. Should it have been mandatory? And we got to run, but should it have been, considering you are MPs, you are the ones making laws and dealing with some of these issues, should this have been mandatory viewing? Um, I, I don't know. I just, I just wish, Scott, that more of my colleagues came to see it. Particularly, you know, there are MPs in Hamilton. Um, I know Dan has been very supportive, but I don't know that my, my other Hamilton colleagues um, have have been as as outspoken or even some of them have made their way to Toronto in support of some of these hate rallies as opposed to speaking out for peace, speaking out for uh, the release of the hostages. And, and I wish they had gone to see the screening. Uh, that is Kevin Vong. He is MP for Spadina, Fort York. I uh, appreciate you taking time today to talk about this. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson, owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys and ComChoice Realty and numerous and sundry other things in the Dundas area. Was this a, uh, was a Toblerone bar part of the Christmas experience? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right in the stock, right in the stocking. Yeah. I don't know why or when that became a Christmas thing, but for so many people it did. And and at Costco, right when the Christmas stuff comes out, here comes the boxes of Toblerone. And now, now they're the size of small ships. Yes, they are. They're, they're, yep. they're really cool. Cattle femur are smaller <laughs> than a Toblerone bar. And that's fine. Nothing, nothing beats getting a one pound or two pound chocolate bar in the stocking. That's, uh, well, years ago when, um, when the Hamilton Bulldogs were an AHL team, they played in the Calder Cup finals the year they won against the Hershey Bears. And I had to go down to Hershey, Pennsylvania to the away games. That's when Carey Price was on the team the year they won. And... Subban? Uh, no, he was after that. Okay. He was 2011, I believe, was P.K. Subban. Anyway, so um, we're down in Hershey, Pennsylvania. We had an off day, so I went to Hersheyville or Hershey Park, whatever it's called. It's Hershey. The town Hershey is built around the chocolate factory. And I drove home with two <laughs> five-pound chocolate bars <laughs> as gifts because, th- I mean, they were enormous. They were giant Hershey bars that were five pounds each. And I, I almost froze to death because they were in the car and I had to keep them from melting. So they're on the floor. <laughs> and I had the air conditioning going full blast onto the chocolate bars. But for some reason, I, was, I had decided on my way that I was going to wear my sandals home. And my feet were like <laughs> icebergs by the time we got to the border. Anyway, uh, thanks for coming in today. Appreciate you coming in. <laughs> the genius of Scott Radley. Not so much, but they, <laughs> they, they were a little soft when I got back, but we threw them in the freezer and they, uh, they you, survived. Your sandals? No, my sandals, the chocolate bars. They, uh, you know, they did something down there that was so unfair is they had, they have like a park, they have Hershey Park, which is where the arena was. 
the arena was in Hershey Park, and the old arena was even further into it. But there is a giant, you, you do the, te- the uh, factory tour, and they pop out. It's like Disney World after a ride. You pop out into yeah. the gift shop. The gift shop, Don, is the size of a Costco. It huh. was enormous. I mean, I'm not, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not by but much. But it was huge. Not by much. It was enormous. And I am convinced they were pumping chocolate odors through the vents. Because <laughs> you, as soon as you step in there, all you smell, and not like faintly, just chocolate. You're just bombarded with, and you cannot walk out there now without buying something because you're just, your body will not let you. It's like going to a summer carnival and they're frying onions. Uh, they yeah. may not put onions on anything, but they're frying them because then you're going to buy some. Well, you're a real estate agent. I mean, we were always told years ago, bake bread or bake cookies before you have an open house because it just makes the whole place. I don't know if they still do that. Well, but, you, uh, can, you can buy air fresheners now. That do the work for you? Simulate it, yeah. But the point is, it was just, it was like, okay, this is both cruel and brilliant at the same time. That you are just. I bet it worked. Oh, a hundred percent. You bought 10 pounds of chocolate. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) That was just the stuff I was taking home as gifts. It was the, the the rest of it was, uh, they had, it's amazing. This is totally off topic, but it is amazing at the time. I don't know if it's still there or what, but the stuff that they had that was chocolate flavored that you never in a million years would have thought, oh, that would make sense as a chocolate item. And I can't even remember what it was, but I just walking around going, there's chocolate that? (laughs) <laughs> that comes in chocolate flavor, but everything was chocolate. If we bring it back to the Hershey Bears, it's about sports. Yeah, well, and the oh, the very first owner, the oh, I guess was his name Hershey. I guess it was the the home that of the creator was a mansion on a hill of the original Hershey. All right, totally off topic. The guy who in did you ever see the the miniseries Band of Brothers? No. Okay, you must. Um, but, uh, but the guy who was, I'm trying to think of his name now. I'm just looking it up. Richard, uh, 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 Dick, Dick Winters, who was, if you watch anyone who's watched Band of Brothers, Dick Winters was the hero of it. He was the leader of the, th- that military regiment and he was the, the hero all the way through. He lived in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And if I had known then what I learned, because I saw Band of Brothers probably a couple of years later for the first time. I wish that I had known then that he lived there. Because if I had known that, I would have skipped the Hershey plant that day and I would have looked him up and gone and knocked on his door and shake his, shook his hand and asked for a picture. Because that, th- that would have been a way more satisfying. And done a story. Da- da- well, Damian Lewis was the actor who played him. Thank you, Ben. Ben was just whispering in my ear. Damian Lewis was the guy who played him. But yeah, Dick Winters was the the original band of brothers captain. He was started as a, like a regular guy and worked out. Anyway, I, I absolutely would have gone, I would have had no shame of going and knocking on his door and just saying, can I have 30 seconds just to shake your hand and get a picture? hundred percent. I would have done that. And the other guy that I would have done that for, and I thought about it cause I drove through his hometown years ago and was, um, uh, how can I forget? What's his name? Walked on the moon first. Um, Neil Armstrong, Neil Armstrong, Neil Armstrong and in Ohio and, and he was living in Ohio and I thought I should, I missed it by you. He died like the year before or something. Anyway. I bet you're anxious to go to Joe Biden's house in Ohio. He's Rhode Island. Close. Or he's Delaware. He's Delaware. Delaware? Yeah, he's Delaware. All right. So, uh, let's get to sports. Well, I mean, we loosely tied that into sports with the Hershey Bears, but. Don Cherry played there. He did. Yes, he did. In the old, old arena that's still standing. 
So they've got a new beautiful arena down there, but the old one is still there, but it's, uh, it, is, it is antiquated now. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays have been front and center, Don, in uh, lots of discussions for the last number of weeks because they apparently are, and I mean, no one's disputing this at this point, they are one of the final teams in pursuit of Shohei Otani, who is the biggest free agent of all time, and a guy that some people say, and with like not being hyperbolic, is the best baseball player since Babe Ruth. And when you consider that he pitches and yep. hits and everything he's done, it's, you can make, you can make an argument that that's the case. And so the Blue Jays are by all accounts in the mix. The amount of his next free agent contract is going to be almost certainly we're told over half a billion dollars, over $500 million. They are also in the mix for Juan Soto, who's a star player with the San Diego Padres. And with all this chatter, leaving aside whether they are legitimate or not contenders for this, is there a real risk to the Blue Jays here that if you don't get either of these two guys, if you get one of them, man, it's that you win the winter. But if you don't get either of these two guys, having gotten the fan base so excited for this, if you get neither of these two guys, no matter what else you do this winter, do you look like you have failed miserably? Yes. I think you do. I Because those planted seeds don't come from you and I, right? The, the, the seed that we're after, the two top guys in baseball. I mean, you got to know it's being leaked out of Toronto. And well, even if it isn't being leaked, they could say, uh, pull it back a bit. We're not, you could be still working on it behind the scenes. And they haven't done that. They haven't done that. So by virtue of that, the expectation is they're going to try. And yes, absolutely. I think you get into that. The Toronto Maple Leafs got into that with Steven Stamkos. Yeah. Brought him in and everything else. And anything short of that is clearly a failure. And you're not trying hard enough. And I'm not the biggest Twitter guy in the world. Uh, there isn't even Twitter anymore. That's how I still a- call it that. aged I am, but on X and they're saying Atkins hasn't got the cojones to pull the trigger. And I get thinking, it's not even his money. Like if I'm running the Jays and Rogers say, do it, I don't care what it costs me. I just do it. I offer him $700 million. I mean, it's, there was a great uh, sports radio broadcaster that always used to get the argument when people say, but it's not our money. Who cares? Let them spend whatever they want. If they're foolish enough to do it, do it. But there may be a return on your investment with this guy. They're going to start charging 400 bucks a seat for some of their prime seats in the Rogers Center. You better put somebody in there that I feel I'm getting my value from. You also have an opportunity to, I mean, think of the, you've got a baseball fan base in all across Canada for the Blue Jays already. Think of the Asian population across this country. And I'm not saying that just because he's Asian that they will follow like, you know, automatically, but there's an awful lot of people that would have, an, I mean, when, when, um, uh, what was his name? The pitcher now, I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble with names today. The pitcher who pitched for the Dodgers, um, years ago, they, they, they used to have a, a Japanese contingent of like 30 media were there every day that he pitched, uh, uh Hideo Nomo. And, 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 and Japanese in Los Angeles, when he was on days that he would pitch, the number of Asian people in the stands 
went way, way up. There is a natural interest. There's always going to be an interest in people who are from where you are. And we have a large Asian population in this country who would, you would think not just in Toronto, buy merchandise and yeah. want to see him. And like, you're right. There are spin-off things here that I don't know if you can make back 500 million, but you can make some of it. Well, uh, the other way to look at it too, how do you say his name? Shohei Otani. Okay. Um, Otani, you're, if you pay 500 million for him, let's, let's top it up to 600 million because it's not my money. Yep. You get two players. You're getting a you pitch. get a guy that pitches every five days and you can get a guy that can hit 30 to 40 home runs all the time. You're getting two players. You would probably pay for a pitcher of his caliber $250 million to get him as a pitcher. You might pay a guy that can hit 30 to 40 home runs on an, on an annual basis $250 million. The 500 doesn't add up to that much if you split him in half because he's pitching every five days. That's assuming his arm comes back. Yeah, but yeah, he's having Tommy John. He's had Tommy John surgery, so he's not pitching this year, they've said. But he won't be the first guy to come back from Tommy John surgery and been very successful. So if you get two players... And you might be able to argue, Don, you get more than two because if you put him into that lineup, you're a pitcher on the other team. You have to be very careful with him. You presumably are going to get Vlad Guerrero a whole lot more fastballs because they don't want to walk him before you put Otani up to the plate where he can drive him in But if you just walk him and put him on base. So So to put it into perspective, if he's going to get my $600 how many years is that for? Probably... Well, I, I'm thinking if it's 500 million, you're getting in for 10, 10? to 12. Yeah, yeah 10, it probably f- he's going to get 50 million a year, probably, which I know is, I know, and, and before anyone's even calls in, I know that's an obscene, ridiculous, ludicrous amount of money, but that's what someone's going to pay him that. Yep. that. So, so whether it's the Blue Jays or the Dodgers or whomever, you know, you know what's going to be. We we heard today, and this would be just so predictable in some ways. We heard today on social media that the late entry into this is the Atlanta Braves. Wouldn't it be the thing if Alex Anthopoulos jumps in late and scoops up the guy to take him away from the Blue Jays? Just another shot in the gut that would, you know. That's how Anthopoulos operates. He just stays below the radar and nobody mentions their name and, and, and they march him out tomorrow and say we signed him. Mm-hmm. That's probably a better system than because nobody is going to care. Well, people will care. Nobody will be impressed that the Toronto Blue Jays came second. But that's uh, you're right, and that's I think the real risk that Atkins and Shapiro are running here that you can finish second in this one, and the Blue Jays will have been the team that did nothing more than drive up his price to the Dodgers. That the, the Blue Jays will. The Blue Jays will essentially be Hamilton as a hockey market. We were always yep. the city that every team that says, oh, we're going to leave town and move to Hamilton. We were the fulcrum on the seesaw that was just to put pressure to drive up the price or whatever else and get the city to build a new arena for them. We're not, they never, most of them never had any real intention of moving to Hamilton, but we were a great place to threaten to move to. So... You know, we're, we're going to the Jays if you don't pump it up to $600 million. Worked out really good. No, we don't even know a hockey team. Well, it's, it, yeah. But how many times did that happen? I mean, it happened again and again yeah, and did. again that Hamilton was the threat, but it was, I don't think it was ever very often or maybe never the, the intended target. It's like Lucy moving the ball. 
Exactly. If he gets five hundred million U.S. or my six hundred million, because it's not my money, that is damn near a billion Canadian. Well, it'll be seven hundred million, roughly seven hundred and something million Canadian for five hundred. Yeah. So he could resolve. Sell prices might go up a bit. <laughs> he could. Yeah. <laughs> he could personally solve the homeless problem in Toronto. He well, he he could. No, but he, well, no, but he would go a long way if he wanted to. I mean, if you put that money towards it, yeah, but that's not where it's going to go, I doubt. The fact, though, is I just, I just cannot help but I'm skeptical and I'm probably a little bit more pessimistic than I should be because I don't have a lot of faith in this management team of the Blue Jays. And I just, I can see where this thing, I think where it's probably going to go. I hope I'm wrong. But where they finish second with Otani and where they finish second with Soto when that deal with San Diego, when someone makes that deal and they don't want to go all in on that. And then all of a sudden you get an announcement that the Blue Jays are signing so-and-so and they won't be a bad player, but it will be nothing remotely. And all of a sudden it feels like you're signing the Drakes. Well, there's nothing remotely close to him. <laughs> you can't get anything close. Well, Mike really. Trout. Although he doesn't pitch. Yeah, but Trout's but, as old as you are. Uh, not, no, he's not. He's had a lot of injuries, but Mike Trout's still arguably the other best player in baseball. Yeah. And I would, I would take Mike Trout in a second if I could get him on my team. I would, I would, M- Mike Trout would be a guy that I would take every day of the week. Mike Trout is only not an absolute superstar with everybody because he plays for the Angels and he doesn't start his games until 10 o'clock at night yeah. in the East Coast and no one around here ever sees him. And they never make the playoffs. And they never make the playoffs. Wow. And so, but you put, if Mike Trout was a New York Yankee, he would already have his plaque in the in the outfield. And he's not even done playing. He would <laughs> already be considered, honestly, he would already be considered one of the greatest players in baseball history if he played for the Yankees. You turned, somehow Derek Jeter became the greatest shortstop ever in some people's minds. And he was, you know, probably not in the top 10 in shortstops all time, but he played for the Yankees and that yeah, does mean, magical things. That's, that's a different, that's a different stage. So I don't know. I just, I, I'm, I'm fully expecting, and I really hope I'm wrong, but I'm fully expecting that ultimately this thing ends with disappointment around here. And then the whole off season spins and becomes a failure of the Blue Jays, even if they sign some good players. And you can make an argument, Don, and we got to run. You could make a compelling argument that not signing Otani and getting, say, two players or three players who are really, really good with that same money would be a better move. Unless you believe my argument that you're actually getting two players. Yep. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, you could, if, if you were to say, we had a problem scoring runs, our pitching was pretty good, we had a problem scoring runs, we're going to go out and sign two really good hitters on the free agent market who are going to come in at 25 million each instead of one guy at 50 and bolster our lineup. You could make an argument, that's a smarter play. I don't think they sell as much merchandise. I don't think they drive as much interest. I don't think they get the J's on U.S. television as much. I don't think it does a lot of the peripheral things, but purely baseball might be better, but I don't think that's what they're trying to do. Well, if that's what they thought was the best plan, they wouldn't tell, you know, be leading everybody to believe they're in, in it to win it. Yeah, no, it's... Um, like, if you're in it to win it, you can win it. You just got to pay him. 
Okay, so last thing before we go on this one. Let's say that right now they're talking $500 million. My years ago when, I can't remember what it was about, my dad once told me, he goes, look, if you're going to pay 100 bucks for something and you can get something way better for 120 bucks, it makes sense to pay 120 bucks. Yep. If you're going to spend 100 for something that's meh, and 120 for something that's much, much, much better, you do that. If you're going to a theater and you can get a seat in the back row of the balcony for 75 and right near the front for 100, you pay the 25 bucks. Well, you get what you pay for is the point he was making. But it's also, <clears throat> if, the, if the gap is not enormous, is it not, I'm not talking about spending 75 versus 750. If it's, so if, you, if they're talking 500 million to sign this guy, and suddenly you have to go up to 550. By the time you're willing to go in for 500, again, not my money, and I can't believe I'm saying it, but what's an extra 50 million? If you're already in for 500 is the point. If you think that he's worth 500, surely he would be worth an extra 50 if you really think he's that good. You go and get him. And if he chooses not to come because he doesn't want to come here, well, that's a different story altogether. But there is no plan B for him. Really. What do you mean? Well, he's, he's in a league of his own. Yeah, but I'm saying if you're the Blue Jays, to me, the one thing you, you do not allow to happen is if you're already saying we're going to be in for this, you do not be outbid. Yeah. Unless the money gets so ludicrous that you're up into the 700 million range, then of course, like it gets stupid. But if it's a question of we got to go up an extra 25 or 30 million on top in the, con- in the life of the contract... To me, you either do it or you were playing around to begin with. It might come down to taxes here too. That's why you might have to pay a little more. Yep. Although, can you imagine living in Toronto when you're getting paid in American money already? Yeah. He, he will not be suffering if he were to come here. Well, the first thing you'll never have to do is buy a meal, which always blows me well, away. Well, no, they, they, I mean, his salary may, his contract may be a salary plus, as I said at the top of the show, ownership of the CN Tower. Like it's, it's, it's extraordinary amounts of money that we're talking about here. It's just, I can't fathom what, if he's making 50 million US, so he'd be making, what do you do when you make $70 million a year? What do you even do with that? How do you even begin to think about spending that? You don't, I guess, but I could, I could in that first year with a third of that money, Buy everything that I ever dreamed of ever owning in my life. And I mean, in my wildest dreams. And now I've got two thirds of the money left and I've now got 11 more years of this coming <laughs> and no idea what to do with it. You'd have friends. I'd hang around. They would, they would emerge. I, <laughs> they, I, I give you a couple ideas. Yeah. Yeah. They would, uh, they would emerge. They yep. will emerge. I'm yep. sure. Uh, Don, we were talking about the Blue Jays. Let's stick with that for just a second because the baseball hall of fame, um, in their, uh, what is it called now? The, um, uh, the uh, let me turn your mic on here. Yeah. And like in the legends in the veterans committee thing, Cito Gaston was up for consideration to be going in as a manager. Um, they also had, uh, well, Jim, um, Jim Leland went in, Jim Leland went in, who was a guy who won one world series. Cito Gaston won two world series. Now Jim, Le- Jim Leland managed for longer and won a lot more games. But it's, what was stunning to me about this was that Jim Leland got in, Cito Gaston got five votes out of, I think it was 16. So candidates needed 12 to get in. Uh, Leland got 15, Lou Pinella got 11. 
Uh, Gaston had fewer than five. I don't know why they say fewer than five. So four, <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, none. It could be none, but I, it ju- it's stunning to me that no. I- whether he gets in or not, that the guy seemingly gets zero credit for winning back-to-back World Series. I think a big part of that equation is that he won them back-to-back. That's And if you take a look at the configuration of the teams, they changed about 10 or 11 players. Like it wasn't even the same team that was a dynasty. They they cha- they switched it up. And uh, But I think the accomplishment, um, whether it helps or hurt, it was a Canadian team and the first Canadian team to ever win, which doesn't have a whole lot to do with your managerial skills. But Cito Gasson's winning percentage was higher than Leland's. And then I guess you could get into the conversation as to why didn't Cito Gasson ever get another job? The Jays brought him back. But he did. Know. No, he did. He, he Where was. did he manage? Well, I don't know if he managed again. He, well, that's what I meant. No, no, but it's. Um, he might have got a job. But how, how do you win two World Series back to back and somebody doesn't scoop you up as a manager? Or do they think that your contribution was so insignificant that you and I could have been the manager? See, that's 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 it. They say because of the players that he had, anybody could have managed that team. And I always say, so any team that's got all those stars, there is nothing that that you're getting out of coaching. There is nothing that, yeah. whether it's football, whether it's hockey, how many teams last year, the Boston Bruins set a record for points in a season. Did they not get swept in the playoffs? So yeah. presumably, it's not that easy just because you've got great players to win. The Edmonton Oilers didn't win every year they had Gretzky and Messier and Coffee and Curry. Glenn Sather had something to do with it. Well, and anybody that makes statements like that has never coached a bunch of premier athletes. And I can tell you that that brings its own challenges. There, Let me use the hockey analogy because I'm better at it, that you need a team composed of four different types of lines and they can't all be the same because if you've got all thoroughbreds that should be on the power play and only want to score, you haven't got anybody to go and pay the price to check. Mm-hmm. But you get a fourth line that's very happy to be playing and will compete harder than the first line. They just may not be as gifted, but their contribution to the team is no less significant. And when you get that many superstars on a team to manage that, the egos in that dressing room, the guys he put in, took out of the bullpen or out of the starting rotation to put in the bullpen and have them buy into it, I would argue is, is as difficult a task as there is in being able to win and having guys accept roles they're not familiar with, but they can handle very well. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's, um. I, I mean, I would agree. I, I would absolutely agree that I think it's a ridiculous um, thing to say that you, just because you've got great players that you win. Joe Torrey is revered as, you now he won four World Series, so I'm not taking that away from him, but you don't think that the Yankees had players back oh. then? You don't think the Yankees were loaded? There was no salary cap. The Yankees had the most talent in baseball, and they won, and no one says, well, pfft, I could have managed that team to a World Series. No, Joe Torre was the legendary Joe Torre who managed that team to the World Series. And, and one of the things he got credit for was managing the egos and having the guys play the role. 
Like it's, I'm telling you, it's a challenge. So the the year that Gaston won his second, I just pulled this up because I couldn't remember. The second World Series, 1993, the second of the back-to-back World Series. When you're talking about the egos, so Devon White was always the leadoff hitter all season until the trade deadline when they brought in Ricky Henderson. And then somehow, Cito Gaston has to convince Devon White that he's no longer going to be the leadoff hitter. So there's your first thing, all right? So yep. now you've got to take your guy who's always been that. And for say, a year, years. For a few years, anyway, with that team. And you've got Paul Molitor, who finished, I can't remember if it was first, second, or third that year in batting, because they finished first, second, third. Him and Alomar and Olerud finished first, second, yep. third. I can't remember the order. He was batting sixth. How do you convince Paul Molitor, unless you are doing something right as a manager, how do you convince Paul Molitor to swallow batting sixth in a lineup and not be, because he'd be batting second or third, maybe leadoff, on any other team in baseball? Probably, he'd have been batting second or third on all the teams that we're playing against. Pat Borders won the World Series MVP the year before, and he's batting ninth. And again, how do you, so there's more, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's not just, yeah, he had talented players. Clearly there was talent on that team. Did, do I not recall that in, um, who was it? Who was Al Leiter, I think had been pitching as a starter that you, he took Jimmy Key out of, put him in the bullpen, put him in the bullpen and Jimmy Key came in and played great, but convinced Jimmy Key that that was what he needed to do. And. Again, like I, I just, I look at this and I think I, I just don't get the idea that simply having great players. No, it's, it, it, it is so much about managing the egos. Dave Stewart isn't going into the bullpen. Uh, Morris isn't going into the bullpen. But you have a relationship with Jimmy Key and he's, and you know, you sit down and say, you will have this World Sh- Series championship forever and the ring forever. When you're 65 years old, you can tell them you throw an O-hitter as a starter if they don't have the internet yet. Right? They, they can tell whatever story you want. But um, that is a far bigger challenge than a lot of people can comprehend. Yeah, it, uh, it, it's it's an interesting one to me. that um, that Not that he didn't get in. Again, that's a discussion that, okay, you know what, it was really close, but he didn't get in. Lots of great players have just missed, you have to have 75%. Lots of great players have just missed. He wasn't even in the conversation. He, he was an afterthought. Yeah. Like it was, you're right. It wasn't, and I don't know, there's nothing on here that says that there was a limit of how many guys that could be voted for. No, nothing that I've read on any story. Now, if someone could correct me on this, but there's nothing here that says you could only vote for one person because that, that can't be right because um, Leland got 15 votes out of the 16, Pinella got 11. So clearly you were allowed to vote for more than one person. Yeah. And yet, it, even with that, where they could have, and it cost them nothing. Like you didn't have to choose one or the other. It wasn't a competition. But he wasn't even a thought, an, an afterthought. I would have to believe that, that they're only admitting two though. There's no way Gaston gets less than five if they can vote for three. Now do, do the math. Well, but unless you're saying, well, look, if I say that he, Leland was the best and then LaRusso was this, I can't vote for Gaston because I can't put him in as well. Your math might be better than mine. He may have got all the other votes, though. There was only, there was only four other votes. 
How many Leland? No, no, get? there could have been more. There could have been cons- there could have been way more than that. How many Leland get? Fifteen out of sixteen. And Pinella got eleven. That's five open votes. It, but I'm saying that they could have voted for all three guys, potentially. It just it's it's it just is amazing to me that outside of this area, clearly he is not even thought of as a manager of repute. Well, just I'm, a guy. Well, I'm saying to you, one back-to-back World Series and never oh. got another major league managing opportunity. Never got another job. One, two World Series. Yeah. There had to be teams out there with really good teams, star-studded teams that they thought, Cito Gasson can manage the egos and the talent. Why don't we bring him in? And that didn't happen interesting either. thing. You're right. Don, um, I think it was John Tortorella, a longtime NHL coach, who the other day was talking and he said the NHL has turned into a no-hitting league. And then on the weekend, and we've seen this a bunch of times, but Ryan Reeves hit a guy for the Leafs, was playing and hit a guy that I didn't even think it was much of a hit. He got him after the puck was delivered. I get that, but like it wasn't one of these hits where you go, oh man, what was that? He was just, it Wendell Clark around a Bruce Bell? No, it was a, it was a, he finished his check. It might've been a tad late, but he got two minutes for roughing. I think it was not even for boarding or charging or two minutes for, and I'm, it, is the NHL, I mean, I'm sure I know what the NHL is doing. They're, they're looking at lawsuits and they're looking at legal things and they don't want their players injured and everything else. But is there a point when it gets too far? Well, now, if you render a good body check on anybody averaging up, somebody's going to come after you to fight. Well, that's just because it happens so seldom now that they're not used to it. I know. But, but no, That's but, my point. I mean, a decent body check may instigate a fight, and they don't fight anymore. Not only don't they hit, they don't fight. Like they've got Reeves there who fought two or three times in the first four or five games to establish himself and then his minus 11 wasn't helping him much and they didn't let him play. But, I mean, he's their tough guy. Ty, Ty Domi would do that on a busy weekend. Yeah, it, 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 it does seem that there are a lot of penalties called now in the NHL for the noise. If there is a loud check, if you really crunch a guy, and again, I'm not talking about a dirty hit from, you know, driving a guy head first or whatever. I'm just talking about a big, hard check. It seems like you're going to get a penalty more often than not. John Tortorella is probably right. And is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Because you, I mean, look, I know, I know where, I know what kind of hockey you like (laughs) and that's okay, but in the... In the grand scheme of things, is the NHL wiser to start getting this out of the game so your skill players can just do what they're going to do because that's where the that's where the eyeballs are. Um, the product is pretty entertaining. I mean, it doesn't have fighting anymore. It doesn't have hitting anymore. But I'll tell you, the product is pretty entertaining. You certainly get to see when you can see Mitch Marner and and uh, Nylander do their thing. I mean, it's kind of entertaining to watch. The problem is it still changes in the playoffs, which is where the Leafs get into quagmire, and they don't have anybody to readjust to it because they don't have, as their general manager says, we need more snot in the lineup. Well, you know, if they're not going to let those guys play in the playoffs, then it's not going to do you any good. But see, I think they will. That's the funny thing about it. 
in the playoffs, suddenly all the no-hitting league rules go out the window. Yeah. And so you've built a team. Now, there's some teams that have been built for both. I mean, Tampa Bay has clearly done it. Vegas has clearly done it. But for a lot of teams, you either build a, a playoff team that doesn't get to the playoffs because they can't win in the regular season, or you win in the regular season and then can't play in the playoffs. Which is, which is why things like Florida going to the Stanley Cup Finals can happen. And you get a team like Vegas that have big, rumbling guys. They have pretty substantial size. They're pretty... They'll play to win. They'll take a check to make a play. You know, they'll run you over. They may not be the most skilled guys, but when the playoffs come along, oftentimes you only need three to win. You don't see many playoff games Mm 8-6, and that's what the Leafs are good at. But from a pure entertainment standpoint, I think the game's a lot of fun to watch. It's not the game I'd like to see, but I can't argue the fact that it's not entertaining. Now... Ty Domi and Bob Probert on a Saturday night. I I used to find that pretty entertaining. I saw we got to run. I saw a video and I don't know why it showed up on Twitter or X this week, and it was something about Wendell Clark and it was a highlight. I thing. saw it today. Did you saw it? And and it starts. You talked about Bruce Bell with the St. Louis Blues, who I believe used to play for you once upon Branford a time in, with the Brantford Smoke. Yeah, his it took fifteen years for his head to clear after that hit, but he finally played again. Um, and I'm thinking that, that is a type of hockey that Rock'em Sock'em Don Cherry, I, we'll never see that again. Well, Grapes can't, he couldn't even do a video every year. No. No, there wouldn't be enough material. No. <laughs> he, like, he could, but it'd be like 40 seconds long. <laughs> it's, yeah, that, that hockey is, is gone. And I, you know, I watched that and I was like, maybe it's just my age. Maybe it's just that I remember that. But I was like, yeah, that was kind of fun hockey back when guys could actually throw enormous hits and, Answer the bell if you had to. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.